When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Cilicia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist ah! came over him, and he groped ah! about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Ah! When the proconsul saw ah! what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And so begins Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Welcome to Acts, our verse-by-verse -verse trip through uh, what's often called the fifth gospel, Luke's second book, as Greg likes to call Dr. Luke's book of testimonies, the story of the history of the first church who were delegated by Christ to continue what he began, by calling people to observe everything he had to say and to follow him and turn from their sins and be born again and enter into his kingdom. Christ began his ministry in the region of the world now known as Israel, primarily in the Judean and Galilean region, although he did spend some time between those two in the region known as Samaria at that time, still known as that now, but they call it the West Bank. Um, his ministry 
began when he was 30 years old and continued for some three and a half years, and he developed followers who would follow him closely to whom he would pass the baton to to continue what he began, and he died for the sins of the world, arose from the dead, proved himself to be alive for 40 days, and ascended. Ten days later, he filled all his followers with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, and there the church began as he had promised in Matthew 16, that he would build his church upon the rock of who he was, I believe. And he uh, allowed them to live there for some eight years or so communally, and then persecution arose and scattered them into Samaria, and uh, obviously the gospel had reached into Galilee as well. And then beyond there, because of persecution, it went like three directions, to Cyprus, although there was already a, a connection there, and up north, 400 miles to an area of Syria known as Antioch, and west into North Africa to an area known as Cyrene, and back again to Antioch. So it's in this part of the world where the cradle of Christianity began. It's interesting all the warfare that's happening in that area of the world. And today's text leads to this happening. Paul and Barnabas with John Mark leave Antioch and go some 13 miles to Seleucia and sail some 100 miles to the island of Cyprus where Barnabas was from to continue ministry there in two villages and then from there into Perga. And we'll learn more about that on another day. But today we're going to look at these verses, the first 16 verses of Acts 13. Um, the connection between Barnabas and Saul kind of goes deep when Barnabas went to Tarsus from Antioch to go get Saul and bring him back to this church in Antioch. And there for a year they teach the people. And then the church receives a prophetic word that a famine is coming to Judea. And so they prepare an offering. Acts 11 verse 29 says, The disciples, those in Antioch, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they no doubt probably had beasts of burden helping them because the church in Jerusalem was huge, even though they'd had a huge scattering as well to other parts of the world. And this was no short trek. This was no small feat. This is like close to, I believe, 400 miles, I believe, hundreds of miles that they were to travel carrying these things. The end of chapter 12, um, verse 25, says that Barnabas and Saul returned, that is, back to Antioch of Syria from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So having delivered the items and spent some time, they made the long trek back and took young John Mark with him. Who is he? He's the son of a woman who hosted prayer meetings in her house. In fact, it was the very prayer meeting that Peter visited when the angel in chapter 12 delivered him from prison. Let me uh, just share this about his deliverance. I didn't highlight this point. The, the angel loosened his chains and opened doors, but Peter had to do everything else. He had to put his clothes on. He had to get up. He had to walk. And he had to find a place of safety. God will do for you what you can't do for yourself, but don't just sit around expecting a miracle check to come in the mailbox. I had to rebuke a brother one time. He no longer lives here, but uh, 
he was just unemployed and just sitting at his house waiting on the miracle check to arrive. The pastor had to pay him a, a, a call. And I said, uh, brother, God provides for us four ways. One is by miracle, and that's what you're waiting on. That's what you're believing for. But miracles are out of the norm. The other is by inheritance, which is based upon the hard work of your, uh, of your predecessors. And he had received an inheritance, and it ran out, and that was the problem. Uh, the other is by investment from the funds that you have earned, you've invested. And the fourth way God provides is by hard work. Get off your duff and go get a job. Put yourself to work. The angel's already taken the chains off, Peter. Now put your clothes on and let's go for a walk. <laughs> and the angel walked him out of the jail and then he was on his own out on the street. The Bible says when he came to himself, he's like, surely, you know, God has done this thing. It's an awesome thing. So that's not the sermon today. Anyway, that's, that, was, that was free. <laughs> so chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, which means dark-skinned. Uh, we have Niger in Africa. We have Nigerian Africa. It's believed he was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, which is also from North Africa. Um, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This guy had connections, and yet he chose to follow Jesus. And Saul. So these guys were leaders in the church in Antioch, and they were prophets and teachers. Some were prophets, some were teachers, and maybe some were prophets and teachers. I would propose that, that uh, Barnabas may have been a prophet and a teacher. We know he, he had taught for a year, it said earlier, and we know he was an encourager. He, he, he had been nicknamed Barnabas. I think his real name was Simon, was it? And, uh, which means son of encouragement. And what, what is Prophecy. It's edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us what it is. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. Oh, I thought it was foretelling the future. Well, it may, it may relate to the future, but if it's not encouraging you to move forward in your walk with God, it's not New Testament prophecy. I don't believe. So here these guys are, and they are ministering to the Lord. The Greek word there for ministry is the word is a word that's related to the word liturgy. It's believed they were worshiping, spending time with God, and fasting, not fellowshipping and chowing down. They're, so they're abstaining from food, they're ministering to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, how does he speak? It doesn't say, but in the previous chapter, uh, two chapters earlier, a prophet had come and prophesied. So perhaps it was through someone prophesying. And this is what was said. Now separate to me, God speaking, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I am calling them. No. To the work in which I have called them. So they were already called. Now they're being sent. First comes the calling, then comes the sending. First David is anointed king, then years later he's appointed king. First Joseph re receives a dream, and then years later 
he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. So God calls before he fulfills that calling. Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and then centuries later, he was the lamb slain in the fullness of time. That's the way God works. He starts at the end and backs up to the beginning and leaves us steps to walk in. If I could moonwalk to demonstrate it for you, I would. (laughs) Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, they still weren't rushing, weren't being impulsive, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, if you've ever had an experience like I've had, who went before he was sent, <laughs> you'll learn the importance of staying in God's timing. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, like 13 or 14 miles away on the coast, and from there they sailed, yep, they got on a ship, to Cyprus. And when they had arrived at Salamis, that's a port city in Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews... They also had John as their assistant. So John Mark was with them, the same one there at the end of chapter 12. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, now that's no small feat, from one side of the island to the other, this island's like the, the, uh, our daughter lived there for a couple years. It's like the size of Arkansas, and it's got mountains. So this was a trek. John Mark's getting a workout. So in Paphos, they find a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So he's already in trouble being a Jew dabbling in sorcery. They were forbidden from that. Who was with the proconsul, or that is the Roman governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Tell somebody a smart guy. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear, we all say hear, hear the word of God. So he wanted to be taught. He's a smart guy. Smart people understand it's not what you know, but it's what you learn. So he was learning, using his intelligence. But Elamus, the sorcerer, that is the same Bar-Jesus guy, for so his name is translated, withstood them. He doesn't want to lose his position of influence with the proconsul. Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9, then Saul, who is also called Paul. Now here, Luke transitions from calling Saul by his Hebrew name to his Roman name, his Greek name. Uh, It's believed that Roman citizens uh, who were of other ethnicities would have more than one name. So Saul's name in Hebrew was Shaul, translated to English as Saul. So here, they're on this missionary journey, they're going to be ministering to Gentiles, he begins to use his Greek name in his writing, and he's called this from now on, except when Paul testifies, because the Lord called him by his Hebrew name when he apprehended him on the road to Damascus. Okay. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, verse 9, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice, not with anger, but with the Spirit of God, looked intently at him, at who? Elamus the sorcerer, Elamus bar Jesus, and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Paul, what are you doing? You're going to hurt this guy's feelings. 
He's wanting to get his attention, put him out of business. Verse 11, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Maybe he was hollering like the dramatization did. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, he wanted to hear the word of God, right? And he heard the word of God, right? The guy that tried to get in the way got removed temporarily. And even that was God's teaching. God's word and God's works will teach us. What is God teaching me from his word and from his works is a big question for us today. So he, <laughs> he becomes a believer, hearing the word of God and seeing the works of God. Now, how cruel to strike a man blind? Really? Is it cruel? When you consider temporary blindness compared to our eternal destiny, it's not bad. Paul himself had been struck blind for three days to get his attention. And Elamus had been blinding people for years with his sorcery. You know, never mind what God has to say. Look at this shiny thing over here. Distracting folks. It is interesting. There must, you know, there could have been more than one guy there in Cyprus doing this. Josephus writes about a Jewish sorcerer in Israel, who was from Cyprus. Not the same guy, but maybe from the same racket. I don't know. So they minister to this proconsul, and then verse 13, they set sail from Paphos. They come to, uh, to Perga in Pamphylia, part of the world we would call South Turkey. We, we say Turkey, but Turks say Turkey. And John, departing from them, John Mark went back home to his mommy, we might say, oh, poor little boy. But no, man, this guy was wore out. These guys were tough. And he no doubt did not have the same calling yet that they had. He wasn't ready yet. His character was being developed. So he returned to Jerusalem, verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. That's another Antioch, different from the one in Syria where they had come from and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, which is what they do in the synagogue when they meet, they read a portion of Scripture from the law, the Torah, and from the prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And then he preaches a masterpiece sermon based on the Israel on the history of the Jews and God's dealings with them. I'd like to highlight, if you mark in your Bible, separate unto me, now separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today from your word in such a way that we are encouraged and we are challenged and we are changed, conformed into your image. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, God's leader-making process. Can we say leadership? 
If you're a volunteer, you're setting an example for someone to follow, so you're a leader. Everybody's a leader of some sort. Today is about lessons that we can learn from Paul's story. Obviously, he's a great man. He wrote 13-plus books of the New Testament, had a great revelation from God, but yet in his calling, in his walk, were some basics that, that I see pretty clearly that I think relate to us all. And so that's where I'm coming from today. The process God takes us through in making us leaders. First of all, he calls us to himself. Jesus went about everywhere, the Bible says, healing the sick, casting out devils, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, telling people to repent and follow me. He calls people into a relationship with himself. This is what happened at Saul's conversion. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute Jesus' followers, and suddenly a light shines around him from heaven. He falls to the ground, hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus initiates a conversation with him. He could have just struck him dead or just struck him blind. But no, there's more going on here than just a guy that can't see. He said, who are you, Lord? So Saul recognizes lordship, honor. The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, Marietta did a masterful job preaching this story when we went through Acts 9. What are the goads? It was Christ's attempts to initiate a relationship with this guy. And this guy is doing the exact opposite. He's persecuting people that are in a relationship with Jesus. When the Lord's dealing with him, hey, I've chosen you, man. I want you in my kingdom. I want want you to be your Lord. So he, Paul, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God sent him into Damascus to a house to wait for further instructions. So his calling began with a calling into relationship. No matter what position of leadership or ministry we are called into, it all flows out of our initial calling, which is to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. My experience when I went before I was sent was nothing but frustration. Two and a half years, 30 people in a little church. It was frustrating. Lots of work, just so much work. And I realized, you know, I'm, I'm the one keeping this alive. And so I prayed one day, honestly, got honest with God. God, I'll shut it down. I just need to know what your will is for my life. Is this preacher thing something I want because daddy did it and granddaddy did it? So that's all I ever wanted to do. What do you want me to do? And the words, follow me, burned in my heart. That was it. Everything flows out of our relationship with Jesus. He calls us to himself. We answer that call. He then empowers us for ministry. So there he is blind in, started to say Antioch, in Damascus and A man named Ananias, a man to whom he was going to persecute, now comes to minister to him. He went his way, entered the house, laid his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he calls him brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
wait a minute, God, what are you doing? This guy just now barely a believer, and it's kind of suspect because, you know, it's kind of like he doesn't have a choice. And now you're going to fill him with your Holy Spirit? It's all by grace. In Galatians 1, verse 15, Paul, talking about his testimony, said, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So his calling was by the grace of God. And so by God's grace, he wants to empower us for ministry. Uh, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. He also said, you'll be... You'll be uh, given power when you when the holy spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses so if we have a relationship with jesus we are already in the witnessing program of the kingdom of god and so the holy spirit comes in our lives in fullness to help us out in acts 8 the church in samaria they had become believers and then they became spirit filled in acts 10 they became believers and spirit filled simultaneously So however it happens with you, I think God wants you to be filled with His Spirit quick, empowered. He wants to empower His children. And He reveals our ministry calling quickly. Maybe even before you're a believer, you had a dream of you being a missionary or or you doing something significant for the betterment of mankind and the glory of God. And the Lord rekindles, blows on the coals of those dreams and confirms to you that that is his will for your life, even before you're ready to fulfill them. When Ananias was wrestling with whether or not to go and minister to Saul, because maybe this is a trap, God says, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I'm going to show them a lot of stuff, and it's not all going to be easy stuff. Can I get an amen? In chapter 22, given his testimony in Jerusalem, Paul, talking about Ananias, said that he spoke over him when he ministered to him. Ananias prophesied this, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you shall be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Ananias, right here in in his conversion, prophesies over him that you're going to speak the word to the nations, man. What are you doing? He's going to get the big head. Well, so what? What happens to big heads? They get humbled, right? And out of humility comes exaltation. And God gets all the glory. In preaching to Agrippa II in Acts 26, Paul gives more insight as to what happened when he was apprehended on the road to Damascus. He said, The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles 
to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Wow, what an awesome calling. Now, was this going to be fulfilled immediately? No. It's prophecy to encourage, often relating to the future, to encourage us to propel us onward towards fulfilling that prophecy. Paul told a young minister named Timothy to wage a good warfare according to the prophecies that were made over him. So sitting around waiting on some prophecy to be fulfilled, I don't think is God's will. For you and I to go deeper in our relationship with him because of prophecies, that's what it's all about. It all comes out of our relationship with the Lord. So he empowers brand new believers for ministry. If you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't think you have, ask someone who has to pray for you, lay hands on you and pray, begin to ask Jesus to fill you with his spirit. And seek the Lord to reveal to you what your purpose is. He will reveal it. But don't get frustrated when it doesn't come to pass immediately. Well, this is frustrating. The revelation and the empowerment together seems to agitate me. I'm tormented. No, it's not. It's just to encourage you on your journey. You're going somewhere in this thing. Things aren't always going to be what they are. God will fulfill his purpose in you. So these two things in our lives come to us early as believers. Supposedly, otherwise we become lackadaisical, just going through the motions. Maybe you've thrown, thrown your dreams out. When I went and wasn't sent and the Lord revealed I was to follow him, he, a few months later, let, did lead us to close the thing down. And I thought, dreaming is bad. And I threw all my dreams away. That wasn't the will of God. He had to show me later, no, no, he gives you the ability to dream, but you've got to run to him with those dreams and pray up a storm about which one is of him and which one is of you. The Lord prepares us gradually. Gradually. In Galatians 1, Paul goes on to explain that God called him through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Verse 21, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So here this guy is, former persecutor of the church, apprehended by God, filled with his spirit, receiving prophecy right from the very start as to what God's going to do. And for years, he's unknown. Destined yet to write, you know, 13 or 14, depending on what you believe, who you believe wrote Hebrews, books of the New Testament. God does things gradual. So here we have his, his uh, nine-part journey before he gets sent out in verse 2 of Acts 13. He leaves, Jeru- leaves Jerusalem to go to Damascus to persecute Christians. He gets 
converted in Damascus. He goes into Arabia for a while and then back to Damascus. And after three years, his preaching is so powerful, they want to kill him. He escapes at night. They let him down through a basket through the wall. And he goes to Jerusalem, which he refers to here in Galatians 1. And then in Jerusalem, it's not long before they want to kill him. And the brothers send him to Tarsus, goes to Caesarea, and then on to Tarsus, which is where he's from. And then sometime later, Barnabas leaves Antioch. He had left Jerusalem to go to Antioch. He leaves Antioch, goes to Tarsus to get Saul and brings him back to Antioch. And there for a year, he ministers, teaching the things God is teaching him. And no doubt he's hearing teaching, strengthening his discipleship. And then him and Barnabas make the journey, the long, you know, some 400-mile journey to Jerusalem with items needed by the church there. And then back again. And then sometime later, they have this prayer. It's exhausting what he's gone through, isn't it? I mean, there's no trains or airplanes here. This is, there's no McDonald's to stop at. If you don't pack a lunch, you're going hungry. Yet, God gave him these words in advance. In advance of Joseph being prime minister, he was given dreams. I think one of the Psalms says, until the day God's word was fulfilled, the word of the Lord tested him. David was anointed king years before he was appointed king. So don't get ticked off at your leaders for not making God's word come to pass in your life. Draw closer to the Lord and begin to serve in every way you can that he's leading you to serve, and you'll be surprised at what he does. I have some peers that didn't want to get involved in children's ministry. I think they're still scratching their head saying, what happened to my calling? Anyway, that was for another day. He connects us with other Christians. Whatever he's called you to do, you're not going to be the Lone Ranger. Jesus established a team, and team ministry is a pattern, always with other Christians. Even door-to-door, he would send people out two by two. It's just the pattern. And so Barnabas goes to Tarsus where he'd been sent for his own safety. He had, you know, that was where his family was, where, you know, where he was from, and he had connections there. Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him back to Antioch where there's a strong church. And he becomes strengthened there, and from there they go into missions. Christ appoints us in his timing, not our timing. Been times I wish God hadn't given me a promise. I wished I hadn't stepped out in faith and bumped my nose. But the things I learned from those experiences were not for God's power in my life. I might have given up. Never run away from the Lord. And one day, He will release you. And they were separated for the work whereunto God had called them. They were already called. Now they're sent. Not go do the thing I'm calling them to do. No, I have called them to do. This is what Jesus did. 30 years. He was ready to go at 12. But 30 years he waited. And then he went public. The right time. He was sent.
So here they are. This is the map of their journey, kind of a satellite shot of where they went. This was no small feat. They needed to know that God had sent them. The years it takes to prepare a person to do what God has called them to do builds in them a backbone and character where they won't quit, they won't wilt, they won't run back home to mama. They will move forward. Now, is this a jumping through the hoops thing? Well, I've gone through the years of preparation, now I've got it made. No. He's still in the process. We're still in process. Still in process. Paul was still being humbled. You know, first part of his ministry was the least of the apostles. Middle of his ministry was the least of the saints. Toward the end of his ministry, he was the chiefest of sinners. He just kept humbling himself. Sometimes when we get older, we get prideful because we've got more and more things to be prideful of. But he kept in mind that even though God had used him mightily, he could become a castaway. He could, you know, become something God wouldn't use. So this process never stops. Uh, Romans 8 says that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is that purpose? The next verse. For whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we're all on a journey. Plan A is that you and I are being made like Jesus. There is no plan B. So whatever. Well, I've blown it. Well, guess what? God will take your mess and make a message out of it. Well, other people have blown it. Well, God will take that test and make a testimony out of it. He turns our trials into triumphs, making us more like Jesus. We will often face oppositions. Can we say often? Just happens. So here they are on this, their first missionary trek. You know, God has sent them. They've been prepared years of testing and preparation, and they're having great success. The word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region of the world we know as southern Turkey. But the Jews, that is the unbelieving ones, stirred up the devout and prominent women, uh uh-oh, and the chief men of the city. So they got men and women, even unbelievers that are upset, that that is non-Jews. They raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Well, I'm just going to go home like John Mark. I'm upset about this. After all this I've gone through, God, the least you can do is make my life easy. Well, Jesus never promised us a rose garden, did he? And if he did, roses have what? He said, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace, John 16, 33. In this world you will have trouble. There's a prophecy for you. Pull that out of your promise box at breakfast in the morning. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We're in a relationship with the one who knows how to win, the one who's been tempted in all points as we are, and knows how to take us through to victory. So the story's not over. And finally, this is my first conclusion. Like Jesus, life will become sacrificial. You feel like you're sacrificing as God prepares you for what he's called you to do, it's, he's developing a pattern. It's all about laying down your life for others. We experience freedom of worship because the military is laying down their life for us, even now, to keep our enemies at bay. The war with terrorism is out there in other places. Keep it over there. 
laying down their life. Christ laid down his life for us. You think we're going to get it easy? Here's the ultimate honor, to die for the Lord. Is there a dotted line on your neck? Are you running from it? Ultimately, Christ is our head, and we pledge our heads, as Keith Green said, to heaven. Life becomes sacrificial as we fulfill his calling for leadership in our lives. And faithfulness will produce fruit. There are stories of missionaries that go somewhere for years, no fruit, but they remain faithful and died with just a handful of converts. And today there's a mighty expression of the body of Christ in that land. Guess who's getting a reward on Judgment Day? They are. Faithfulness will produce fruit, and that fruit will produce fruit. And what will the fruit do? Bring you glory? No. It brings glory to the Father. It flows out of a relationship with Him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, Jesus said. So He's calling us to Himself. And I in Him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So it all flows out of this relationship to follow Jesus. It glorifies the Father, our fruitfulness does. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. 15.8. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the word we've heard would be applied to our lives. Each person here, Lord, make it relevant to them. Lord, I pray for that person who feels downtrodden or feels less than pray, God, you would bring truth to their remembrance that would counteract any lie that has caused them to lose heart. I pray, Lord, for that person that is weary in the journey of following you, waiting on the fulfillment of their calling, and yet being faithful. I pray, Lord, you would encourage them today. And Lord, when their day of sending comes, Lord, may, they, may it be clear in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, empower every believer with your spirit. And may we all receive a sense of the calling you have for us as individuals. For we are all called into ministry one way or the other. May we be faithful as your priests to serve this generation. In Jesus' name. Help any frustration we have to drive us to our knees to seek you and your will. To run to you with our dreams. To be purified by you. In Jesus' name. I'd like to end the service just with a time of asking the Lord what he would have you do. Just a chance to Allow him to bring to your remembrance the last thing he was leading you to do that maybe you didn't follow up on.
do in response to that. And may he bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you not drive through high water. Walk in wisdom. <laughs> Allow the patience he's developing in you to keep you safe. Amen. God bless you. Go get him, tigers. Jesus, thank you.